Do you know what it is like to have someone that you're close to, but you're separated from them for an extended period of time, and then you get to see them again? For some of you, uh, you may have a work situation where it takes you away from your family, or maybe you're the family who's dad or mom has been taken away because of work for a while, and when you're reunited as a family, what a joyful moment that is. I remember one of my friends I grew up with from fifth grade on, he went into the army, and then he became a captain who served in active duty in Afghanistan, and I remember praying for him day after day after day as he was away, and then I remember when he came back to the States, and he had served his full time of service, and he was discharged, and I remember he and his wife and Katie and I getting together for dinner, and it was just so great to get to see him again. When you come to the book of Revelation, and let's just make sure we get this clear right at the beginning, it's Revelation. Don't anybody be walking around saying Revelations. Revelation, all right? We got that right at the onset. So when you get to the book of Revelation, you come to a book written by the Apostle John. And the Apostle John was one who knew Jesus Christ. In fact, he is a, he handed over Mary, his mom, the care of his widowed mother to John. So anybody that he felt was a threat to himself being worshipped as Lord and God, he persecuted, he went after them, he wanted to annihilate Any opposition to himself being worshipped as Lord and God. So guess who he loved to persecute? Christians. So Jerusalem has been destroyed. People have been massacred. It's to stamp them out of existence. And it's in the middle of that that God gives the Apostle John this new revelation of Jesus Christ. And John is giving it to the church. And he's telling them, hey, I know Jerusalem's destroyed. I know you're on the run. But there is a God who's reigning over his creation. And he's going to bring all this to an end. And one day there's going to be a new Jerusalem. And that new Jerusalem is going to be the very presence of God where we will dwell with him forever. So the book of Revelation, let's kind of recap, was written by the Apostle John to real churches in history that were suffering persecution. And the message of the book is not only that you triumph in the end with Jesus, but we'll see there are also warnings in the book. There are warnings to hold on to the end, to persevere to the end, to deal with sin. You see, what John was writing was not only a revelation of Jesus Christ, but it was in light of the revelation of Jesus, here is how we are to live. So today's sermon is titled, Jesus Revealed. Jesus Revealed, and will be in Revelation 1, verses 1 through 3. We're going to spend the first three weeks of this series in chapter 1, and we're going to kind of be setting up the backdrop the main theological themes. We're going to kind of set us up with the proper lens, the proper field of view, and then we'll move quicker as we continue on through the book of Revelation. So let's begin with Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Actually, let's just stop there for just a minute because it's the revelation of who? Of Jesus Christ. The first three words of the book in Greek are apocalypsis, Jesu Christu. And apocalypsis, that may sound familiar to you. 
That's the word we translate as apocalypse. In our modern terminology, the word apocalypse has kind of taken on a, um, a negative context. There are movies and books and all kinds of things, TV shows that you binge watch about a post-apocalyptic world. So it seems negative when you use the word apocalypse, but here it's meaning revealing. Uh, even in the comics, there's a, a Marvel supervillain named Apocalypse. So I, I think we've kind of taken this word apocalypsis, apocalypse, and we've given it a negative context. But actually the word can be translated as revealing, making fully disclosed. You're showing forth something. And, and that's what's being said here at the beginning of the book of Revelation is that it's not God is concealing something. It's not even that there's this negative thing being communicated. It's actually an unveiling. It's God is revealing to us. It's God is showing forth to us what is going to happen. And so the book of Revelation is not meant to conceal. It's actually meant to reveal and who is it meant to reveal, or what is it meant to reveal? And that's why I want to just stop after those first few words for a moment, because we need to get this straight before we move on. It's the revelation or the unveiling or the revealing of who? Of Jesus Christ. Now, when it says of Jesus Christ, this is Jesus Christ is in the genitive. And, and hold on, I'm going to nerd out on something for a minute, but it's for a reason, okay? So don't go to sleep on me. You need to know this. It's either an objective genitive or a subjective genitive. If Jesus Christ, if it is the revelation, objective genitive of Jesus Christ, that means it is revealing him. If it's a subjective genitive, it's a revelation given to him. And many commentators believe for, for quite a while that it was an objective genitive. It's about the revealing of Jesus Christ. In fact, there are other places in Scripture where this word revealing of Jesus is used in that way. Look at 1 Corinthians 4.9 for just a minute. 1 Corinthians 4.9, uh, because this word apocalypse is not only used uh, just here uh, in the book of Revelation. It's used in other places about the revealing of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 4.9, it says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Jesus Christ, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the what? The revelation, the apocalypsis, the revealing of Jesus Christ, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so often that's what it is. It's an objective genitive. It's we're looking forward to the revelation of Jesus. But here in Revelation 1-3, what we'll see is it is a subjective genitive. It is actually a message that God the Father has given to the Son, which he has given to us. Now, why would I take a minute to explain that to you. Some of you like that kind of stuff. Some of you just glaze over when I start talking about Greek. Why would I point that out? Because we must understand this from the very onset, from the very first three words of this book. The book of Revelation is all about Jesus Christ. Syntactically, in this first verse, it is a revelation given to him. But contextually, as you read it, it is all about him. 
And so as we study this book, the goal of studying the book of Revelation is not for you to figure out the signs and the numbers and the nitty-gritty of all of that. The goal of the book of Revelation is not for you to decipher who the Antichrist is. The goal of the book of Revelation is not for you to figure out who the kingdom from the north is going to be. The goal of the book of Revelation is not for you to decode a series of end-time events so that you can have some sense of control. That is not the goal of the book of Revelation. The goal of the book of Revelation is to take Jesus Christ, to exalt him before us, and to say, in light of all of these things that will take place, here is how you are to live in light of the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And so if you want to know Jesus Christ more, and if you want to know how to live for Jesus Christ, and if you want to know how to respond to the troubles of this world in light of Jesus Christ, then the book of Revelation is for you. But that's what it's about. It's about exalting Christ, and it's about living for him in the midst of a world that is against him. And now, we will deal with these details. We will uncover what do some of these signs and wonders and the, the numbers and all of these things mean, but that's not the purpose of the book. The purpose of the book is to exalt Jesus Christ. Warren Wearsby summarizes it this way. He says in Revelation chapters 1 through 3, Christ is seen as the exalted priest king ministering to the churches. In Revelation 4 through 5, he is seen in heaven as the glorified Lamb of God reigning on the throne. In Revelation 6 through 18, Christ is the judge of all the earth. And in Revelation 19, he returns to earth as the conquering king of kings. Now, we only got to a few words here, so let's actually go back to verse 1. Let's read some more out of verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. Let's pause there for just a minute, because what does he mean by shortly? I mean, this was written some 2,000 years ago. Well, sometimes the word shortly, that we translate as shortly, means soon. In chronological order, it's about to happen. Other times, it actually means that when it happens, it's going to like boom, 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 boom. It's going to happen fast. The event itself is going to be quick. It's just going to move, and it's going to happen, and it's going to take place in a quick manner. I think one commentator, uh, Fanning, he explained it this way. He said, it's better to understand that these expressions reflect a soon occurrence, not in the sense of an exact chronology, but in a prophetic frame describing what is certain to occur and could occur at any time without delay. The timing, however, is subject to God's calendar, whose timetable is different from human calculations. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the next event on God's calendar are the events described in the book of Revelation, that Christ really is going to return and it really could be at any moment? Do you believe that? Is that your hope? Is that what you're looking forward to? I believe that's really what's being said when he said the things that will shortly take place. It means that in God's timetable, it's the next thing that's marked on his calendar. It's about to happen. At the time of God's choosing, it will take place. But the other thing he says, uh, revealed to him to show his servants, and he sent and signified it, back to verse 1, uh, by his angel to his servant, 
John. He sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. What does he mean he signified it? Well, this is, again, a key. I'm giving you a lot of background this, this week. The Gospel of John has seven signs that as John was writing his Gospel, he laid out seven signs that Jesus did, miracles that Jesus did, that John says are signs that Jesus is who he claims to be. One you'd be familiar with, uh, the marriage feast at Cana. Jesus is there. They're running out of wine. It's going to be an embarrassment to this family. Jesus' mother steps in and says uh, to the, the stewards, the servants, just do whatever he tells you to do. And Jesus turns the water into what? Into wine. So John, writing about that, recording that for us, this is what he records in John 2, verse 11. In his gospel, he wrote, This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So let's review for just a moment. John, the apostle, who knew Jesus, who served Jesus, who saw him die, who saw the resurrected Jesus, who saw him ascend, has now been given a fresh vision of Jesus. And he's communicating this word to a church that was suffering, that was persecuted, that was hurting. And he's giving this church a fresh vision of Jesus that is not only a, you can make it. It's not only a, hey, it's going to be better. It's not only a, Jesus wins and we win with him in the end. But it's also a warning to say, hold fast until the end. That brings us to our first point today. The God of eternity is bringing history to his purposed end in Jesus Christ. The God of eternity is bringing history to his purposed end in Jesus Christ. And I want to help you find out where you are in that for just a minute. Because you're a part of that. You're a part of that statement. You know, whether you're the youngest child here or the oldest adult here, God is at work in the big and the seemingly small things of your life. The family that you were born into, the color of your skin, the abilities that you were born with, the things that you would consider your strengths, the things that you would consider your weaknesses. As you submit all of these things before an eternal God, He uses them for His purposes as He is bringing your life to its purposed end. Now, there may be things about you that you don't like. There may be things about your personality that you don't like. Things about the way you look or the family that you were born in. Maybe you were even born into a very hurtful situation. Maybe you have gone through things in your life where you say, how is God involved in those details? God is not the author of sin. But God is there as we take the hurt and we take the things that we don't understand and we take the pains of our life and we go to him by faith. What we will find is a loving and gracious father that has been there all along. So often we're the ones that when life doesn't make sense, we get angry and we turn away. He's not far, he's near. When we don't like the things that are going on in our lives, we become frustrated and we want to gain control, but then we just make things worse. What we need to understand is there is a God who is eternal God, who is the one that 
he was and he is and he is to come. And he's bringing it all to his purposed end. And your life, your life is included in that. I remember when I was an associate and youth pastor the first time at a church right out in the country. And I was wanting to learn how to be a pastor. And I had the opportunity to serve right close with a pastor in Pilot Point, Texas. And I got to learn a lot. And I was given a lot of responsibility at a very early age in ministry. And I remember after I had been there for a few years, I began to think that I understood what it was to be a senior pastor. Now, I was the associate and youth pastor. I mean, I was as close as you could get to being the lead pastor. And so I thought, well, I've got this figured out. I can go do this now. I've, I've learned what I need to know. I can, I can do this. You know what? When I went from there to my first senior pastorate, in that moment, didn't take long, I realized how much I didn't know that I didn't know. There's a big difference from being the associate pastor to being the senior or lead pastor. Huge difference. There's a different weight, a different accountability from God, a different perspective that you have, even in what seems like such a little change. In our lives, in our lives, the problem is not things not going the way we want them to. The problem is we don't know what we don't know. The problem is that we want to know so we can be in control. But nowhere in, in the Bible is there a verse that says, Thou shalt be in control and your life shall be well. It's not there. In fact, the Bible says we walk by what? Faith and not by sight. What is sight implying? It's implying that I'm in control because I can see and so I can direct my own paths. God is saying, look, I'm bringing my creation to my purposed end, and you're a part of that, and you can either be a part of it kicking and screaming, or you can surrender yourself to my loving hands and know my goodness in your life. But there is a God that is bringing his creation to his purposed end. And so, you see, he's still in control. He still loves you. We have a choice how we face it. But let's move on to verse 2. Verse 2, Revelation chapter 1, says, this is speaking of John. John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of who? Again, of Jesus Christ. Again, it's all about Jesus. To all the things that he what? That he saw. Now, this is what's cool. Again, we have to come back to the fact this is the Apostle John writing this. He saw so many things about Jesus. And after all these years, he's given a fresh vision of Jesus. In John chapter 1, uh, 1 John chapter 1, his first epistle, verses 1 through 4, he wrote this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declared to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen. He, he's repeating himself over and over for emphasis. And heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with you, is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that our joy may be full. 
John had seen Jesus. He had touched Jesus. He, he had seen the resurrection, uh, the resurrected Christ. And now he's getting this fresh vision of Jesus and saying, I'm testifying. I've been testifying about Jesus. And, and the things that I'm telling you about Jesus, they're true. And I want you to know about my risen Lord and Savior. He's not hidden. He's revealed. And that brings us to our second point today is this. God has revealed his purposed end in Jesus Christ. God's revealed it. It's not the hiding of Jesus Christ. It's the apocalypsis. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the unveiling. It is the message of Jesus that was given to Jesus to give to us. If you noticed in verse 1, here's the sequence of events. It's God the Father gives a message to the Son who gives a message to his angel who declares it to John. And John is saying, I'm testifying to you of all the things that I've seen. It's true, just like the things I told you before. And I want you to believe upon Jesus Christ. Do you want to know God's will for your life? People ask me that sometimes. I just want to know God's will regarding this. Usually it's something specific. Sometimes it's more general when you kind of just feel aimless in life. You're not sure where your life is headed. Do you want to know God's will for your life? I can say with all certainty that you will not know the fullness of God's will, the fullness of his blessings, you will not know his direction in your life apart from Jesus Christ. I mean, it's all wrapped up in him. It's all moving towards its end in him. God has revealed Jesus Christ so that we might know him, know his will, and walk in it. And so if you really want to know the will of God, go to Jesus. Get to know Jesus. Learn to love Jesus. Believe upon Jesus and you will find yourself walking in that perfect will of God. But you're not going to find it apart from Jesus Christ. I remember um, having to go to an event one time that I really didn't want to go to. And so I was trying to kind of figure out ways to get out of it. And, and even the day of, I remember thinking, well, I wonder if this is still on. Maybe it's been canceled. You know, uh, maybe they're not doing it anymore. It was still fully on. I just didn't want it to be true. I didn't want it to be something that I had to go to. I didn't want it to be something that intersected my life in a way that I didn't like. I'd say that many times if we're honest enough, and that's the hard part, that's how we treat God's word. God has absolutely made his revealed will clear. We just don't like it. It's way more straightforward than we want it to be because if we acknowledge how straightforward it is, then what's implied is we have to do something about it. And that means when God's word intersects with our life and we don't like it, we have to bend to it or we rebel against it. And it's far easy for us to just not take it seriously. It's far easiest for us to just be confused by it. It's far easier for us to just ignore it and go, I just don't know what God's will is. Well, I think if we're honest enough about it, we understand that God, he's not hiding his will. He's made it clear. He has sent his son. He has said, know my son. Follow him. Obey him. And you will be walking in my will. But let's close with verse 3. Or not close, let's get to verse 3. I'm not done yet. You don't get off that easy. Verse 3, 
Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. What a great promise. And keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Did you note the progression there in this verse? It says, blessed are whom? Those who hear or read and hear, and then what? Who keep it? All right, this isn't rocket science here. In fact, this is the first of seven what scholars call beatitudes in the book of Revelation that are very similar to the beatitudes that Jesus gave us in the Sermon on the Mount. But they're, they're promises from eternal God to you today. And what, what's the promise? What, what is the promise that God has given? He's saying that you'll be blessed if you what? Read it, if you hear it, but also what? You have to do what? You have to keep it. In the first century church, what happened was the book of Revelation was like a, a circular letter. There were seven literal churches, and you can trace them on a map, and you can see how it would have very easily been a circular letter going through these seven churches. So they would receive the letter from John, and somebody would stand up in the congregation of the church and read it, and everyone would listen to the word being proclaimed. So that's why he says to those who read it and those who hear it. But it doesn't just stop with the reading and the hearing. The most critical part, I would say the most important part of the instructions there is to not only hear it and not only to have it read and, and heard, but to keep it. And I would say that's the most important part. Because again, the book of Revelation, it's not some secret decoder that we can put over and figure out end time events and then know how everything's going to play out. The book of Revelation is Jesus Christ high and lifted up. And it is God saying, obey my son. Because everything, it's coming to its conclusion in him. And so my hope and my prayer for us as we walk through this series is, yeah, we'll learn about end-time events. We'll er learn about some end-time systematic theology. We'll understand the importance of these numbers. But if we go through the book of Revelation and we don't know Jesus more, we have failed. My desire is that we know him and we love him and we learn to obey him more and more and more. So I want to come to our third point, and, and I'll be bringing it to a close in just a minute. Third and final point is this, God has promised to bless those who obey Jesus Christ until the end. What a great promise. I mean, you can leave here today, if you are a child of God who has put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you know him, and you are filled with his spirit, you can leave here today claiming one Three, Revelation 1 3 for your own life and put your name there and say God has promised that he will bless me as I hear and I obey as I read here and obey the words of God in the testimony of Jesus Christ God's promised to bless me now I think with all the abuses of the health and wealth of the prosperity movement, we don't talk a lot about those kinds of blessings or verses like this in many conservative churches today. But man, there are many verses that echo such a promise that as children of God obey God, you have a Father who loves you, who just desires to bless you. Think about it. As a parent, 
you want to bless your children. You want to take care of your children. You want to meet their needs, but you also want to do things that are fun, that are a blessing to them. And kids, you love it. Probably when your parents surprise you, even something as simple as you get dinner done and you're like, hey, let's go to Dairy Queen and and just make ourselves sick on a blizzard. You know, just something fun, something different. Parents love to do stuff like that. But you know what? When a child is rebellious, when a child is doing those things that are against the parent's will and against God's will and against their good, it's not wise for a parent to just shower that child with blessings. Uh, that child needs to learn the consequences of their rebellion. And so when a child is rebelling, they must suffer consequences. They must suffer discipline because that is what is for their good. But no parent wakes up and says, I can't wait to get my discipline on today. The heart of a parent is, I want my children to know God, to walk with God, to walk in obedience to God, to walk rightly so I can shower them with blessings. That's the heart of God for you. You have a father who loves you that says, look at my son Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Obey Jesus. Because I, as a loving father, am just waiting to bless you, my children. So to close, I want to look at two final words that were in verse 3. The words prophecy and near. The book of Revelation is a prophecy. It's God calling his shots, as we talked about last week. It's God saying, this is how it's going to end. And God can do that because he owns it all. Who else is all of the created order going to answer to one day? Nobody. It's him. He alone It's going to answer to him. And so he has the right to tell us how he's going to bring it to the end. But here's the amazing thing. As we read the book of Revelation, God does this. He pulls together the two bookends. Because really, the Apostle John, you have to look at him like standing in the line of all the Old Testament prophets. I mean, the Psalms, the Exodus, Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah, you really kind of have to have a little bit of a background in these books to understand the book of Revelation. So it's like in the book of Revelation, God takes all of these Old Testament prophecies, all the things that he'd been telling us about for thousands of years, and then he takes the newness of Jesus Christ, the one who was and is and is to come, and God takes all of his promises and he takes his son and he shows us how it's all going to come together in the end. So it is a prophecy. But also he says that it is near. And as I said before, um, <laughs> there are those that say, well, it's been 2,000 years. Yeah, but you know, God doesn't count time like we do. And the next event on God's calendar are the events of the book of Revelation. And so the question is, are you ready for that day? I mean, that's where we have to end, right? Are you ready for that day when Jesus Christ returns, when the world comes to its end that God has purposed? I want to just close talking about the Apostle John one more time. I'm so grateful that God not only gave us the book of Revelation, but he gave it to us through uh, this testimony of John. You know why? A lot of times when we talk about the disciples, we talk about the apostle Peter kind of being a mess and putting his foot in his mouth and, and all that. But John was the same way. The apostle John was far from perfect. In fact, he and his brother James were called the sons of thunder. They were always getting in trouble. 
There was one time where a city rejected Jesus, and John and James were like, you want us to, Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven, wipe them out for you? You want us to just take care of your, your light work? And Jesus looks at him and says, what is your problem? I didn't come here to destroy life. I'm here to save. But they were ready. They're like, oh, Jesus, they didn't accept you. You want us to just handle that light work for you? I mean, come on. Jesus is like, what is your problem, John? I mean, not only that, but John and the other disciples were often found arguing arguing about who would be greatest. John and James, their mother, I mean, come on, mama's boy, is coming saying, hey, Jesus, will you let my son sit on your right and your left? What a moment that must have been. That was special. You know, John was far from perfect. Even his mom got in on it at times, right? And John, just like the rest of the disciples, when Jesus was betrayed in Gethsemane, what did he do? He fled. In the Gospel of Mark, it talks about one of those that was with them running literally out of his outer garment, running naked from the garden. And many scholars believe that was John. He was so scared, he literally ran out of his clothes to get away from what was going on. Why do I say that? Because that gives me hope for me, right? Sometimes if you look at a train wreck, it makes you feel better about yourself. And so if God can take the Apostle John with all of his failures, use him to write the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then say, here is Jesus Christ revealed afresh and anew. Love him, obey him, follow him. Man, there's hope for me today. There's hope for all of us today. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where you've come from. But I know that there is a God who has given us his son. And his son's name is Jesus Christ. And he has died for our sins. He has risen from the grave. And he's going to return one day. Are you ready? Would you please stand with me? If you've never put your faith in Christ, that's where we want to close today. Is by inviting you to put your faith in Jesus. To save you from your sins. And to make you ready for that day. If God could take John and raise him up and use him to write scripture, God can take you in whatever mess that you're currently in, and God can save you, and God can raise you up, and God can have you ready for that day. If you've never put your faith in Christ, I invite you as we sing to slip up from where you're sitting, to come down, to tell me I'd love to pray with you, to kneel down front here as you give your life to Jesus Christ. Again, we're just setting up the rest of the book. We're going to move faster in the weeks to come. But I do encourage you, church, to reflect upon that. that there is a God who's bringing all things to his desired end. May we pray that God gives us a fresh vision of Jesus Christ in the weeks ahead. I'm going to pray, and as we sing, you come. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you are not hidden, you are revealed. May we now obey you. And would you receive the glory from it? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.